Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henrik, is the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Glenn Eric Hamilton to the podcast this week. Glenn writes crime thrillers. His novels have been called Outstanding by Publishers Weekly, a perfect mix of serious crime and caper movie by Criminal Element, and a must-read series by Mystery Scene Magazine. Hamilton's debut novel, Past Crimes, won the Anthony McCavity and Strand Magazine Critics Awards and was also nominated for the Edgar, Barry, and Nero Awards. Kirk has called Past Crimes an exciting heir to the classic detective novel. Each of his subsequent books in the Van Shaw series have earned starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and more, and been published in North America, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, Turkey, the Czech Republic, and Japan. Glenn grew up aboard a sailboat in Seattle, Washington, playing and occasionally finding trouble around the islands, marinas, and commercial docks of the Pacific Northwest. Whenever the boat drifted on calm seas, Glenn would raid his parents' bookshelves, passing the idle hours with Travis McGee, Spencer, and the tangled plots of Patricia Highsmith and Frederick Forsyth. Years later, Glenn met his wife while both were performing in an Agatha Christie play. Prior to his fiction writing career, he worked in wireless telecom, the gaming industry, and nonprofit healthcare. We'll talk more about that. (laughs) Glenn served as the president of the Southern California chapter of Mystery Writers of America from 2018 to 2019, and is also a member of the International Thriller Writers and Sisters in Crime. He publicly acknowledges his addiction to the television show Columbo. After living for many years in Southern California, Glenn and his family have recently returned to the Emerald City and its beautiful overcast skies. Glenn, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Julie. It's lovely to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. You've had such an interesting career, but I'm going to start where I always start. Um, when did you first say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Sure. I, and I have to mention, there's one the lovely bio uh, that you read. There's one um, slight accolade that wasn't mentioned there. And I was uh, very important, though. I was treasurer of the L.A. Sisters in Crime chapter for two years in 2016, 2017. So get out there, volunteer (laughs) with your Sisters in Crime chapter. Very important. I was uh, I was recruited into that by our friend uh, Rochelle Staub, um, who was becoming the the president of the local Sisters in Crime chapter at the time. So I I want to I want to make sure that that gets mentioned because it's it's. Uh, important work supporting your local chapters. Oh, we may grab yes. that sound bite for recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I got, I got, I always enjoyed writing in school. I loved creative writing classes, and I liked making stories and 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 that sort. But I, I got what I consider kind of a late start in writing because you mentioned that my wife and I met doing a play. My creative outlet. 
until my 30s really was acting. Um, I, you know, I started acting in, in as a kid. I got a degree in theater, um, continued acting in community and regional theater, and uh, you know, Shakespeare in the Park. Just uh, you know, some some productions ranging from wonderful to truly terrible, as as theater goes. <laughs> as theater goes. Uh, and, but when we moved to Los Angeles, um, kind of on a whim, really, because we hadn't, I hadn't lived anywhere else than the Seattle area, and. My wife was an actress and we wanted to try living somewhere else. We moved to L.A. and everybody in L.A. is an actor. It's not it's not an interesting thing to be in Los Angeles. And I and I did it for fun. I wasn't looking to do it for a career. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a chance to be off work for a little while and went to the local library because I don't I don't do idle time very well. I have to keep busy. I went to the local library and just started writing in longhand every day just to see. I knew I knew just enough about writing to know it would be really hard work. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to know if I enjoyed the hard work part of it, because if you don't enjoy the hard work part of it, you might as well not start. It's it's uh, or, or, or unless you've got a lot of drive to get you through that. And I did enjoy the nuts and bolts of it. And that got me started uh just to just to know okay i really enjoy making stories this is the kind of story i want to want to explore and that got me into taking classes and there and the journey started there and was it always going to be was it crime fiction from the very beginning or or were you were as you're exploring being a writer were you looking at other genres as well i was curious about other genres but crime fiction was what crime fiction and adventure fiction were what I had grown up reading and what I really loved. When I was writing for myself, just just in the library, I suppose you're always writing for yourself. But when I was starting out, I was really writing a novel that was sort of based on Bernard Cornwell's Sharp series. It was like mm -hmm. historical adventure. Yeah. Right. Um, and I learned two things. One is that's a lot of fun to write. And two is, my God, that's a lot of research. <laughs> um, and I wasn't sure that it's like maybe contemporary, maybe, maybe I want to do something <laughs> modern because it's, well, I, I have nothing but incredible admiration for people who write historical mysteries and historical fiction. Cause it's like, wow, you talk about <laughs> upping the, upping the difficulty level of what you're writing. Um, so, uh, I enjoyed writing that, but I, when I started taking classes, I started writing more contemporary and that allowed me, allowed, allowed me a lot more freedom as well because i could you can take obscure things and work them in without having to explain them necessarily in contemporary fiction which is a lot of fun um and so yeah it it it, it was always crime adventure based um but it took a while to figure out exactly the subset of crime that i wanted um and what i wanted was a character who lived on the outskirts of acceptable society, mm -hmm. not a criminal necessarily, um, but somebody who scrounged, who, mm -hmm. who just sort of made their way and who looked at life a little differently than the rest of us who might have corporate jobs and, you know, mortgages and things yeah. like that. Um, and I thought that was an interesting place to start. So that that's that sort of dictated, OK, this is the sort of uh criminals i'm talking about this is the sort of crime i'm talking about and that helped to shape the stories 
So there's so much to talk about there, and and I want to, but I'm going to take a step back and talk about your your life as an actor and how that informs your writing um, as a, a you know you know your mystery writing because of the work you do as an actor in character development and backstory and and understanding what you're doing with a character on stage that the audience never sees the audience never sees whether your character drinks tea or coffee but you know that as an actor because you've thought about it and you've worked on it mm-hmm. did your acting experience help inform your characters and and the way and also you know plays dramatic structure but did your acting experience help inform your writing it it does really what i think what helped inform it most was reading a lot of plays yeah when you read a lot of plays that you know that plays are plays are all dialogue. They're all dialogue, right? And so, and characters talk in unusual ways in plays. And so, you know, uh, that's a that's a reading plays and reading screenplays too are are things that I recommend to all writers is to get out and write read things that are just pretty much just dialogue because if mm-hmm. it's not in the dialogue, it's not there, right? Yeah. It has to be made. Um, also, the the key. Uh, skipping ahead maybe to to best advice uh, ideas is reading out loud. Um, mm-hmm. When you read out loud, you'll get a sense of, do are these characters all talking the same? Do they have mm-hmm. the same rhythms? Are they different enough? Is one character too talkative? Is one character boring the other and therefore maybe boring the reader? You know, so those um, those help a lot. And yes, there's many a day that I'm walking stalking around the room with a stack of pages in my hand raving like a maniac as i'm reading (laughs) stuff out loud to myself but i bet you're entertaining the family (laughs) yeah and scaring the cat (laughs) um i just read um earlier today an elmer leonard uh quote and i'm gonna you know paraphrase uh but he said that if you're if the english language is getting in the way of the dialogue working don't you don't worry about rules like if if you know it needs to work as dialogue and for the character if the character wouldn't say something in perfect grammatical structure just skip the grammar lesson like you know it, it the authenticity of of characters me is, is of the utmost importance when he's yes. writing yeah. yeah as as with all things yeah elmore leonard is absolutely right about that is is that you know, you know we don't we don't speak in perfect grammar but we also don't, conversely, on the other side, we don't write as we speak. We take out the ums and the ers and the right. uh, and the and the and the false starts that we have to sentences and all kinds of other things, right? Um, we cleaned it up a lot. But at the same time, you are looking to get the that particular character's rhythm of speech and mode of speech. You mm-hmm. know, if you're writing a if you're writing a series character, especially a lead character that tends to be terse. As as mine does, as my lead character does, um, it allows you some freedom to let other characters be a little more florid, right? Yeah. And so, and that's and that's a fun fun change. And you can even make it a bit of a punchline too, yeah. with a terse answer to a, a florid question, right? <laughs> Um, I also love the advice of reading uh, plays and screenplays. It's so interesting because plays I'm so comfortable with, but screenplays I've tried to write and I, I just find not 
putting backstory in something is uh, is just so challenging. But you're absolutely right. The only thing in screenplays is the dialogue. You have to tell the backstory and move everything forward. And it's, you know, I, I think that's a great, great um, piece of advice. Yeah, it's very it's propulsive. What it does is it makes you it makes you put that energy into the words that people are saying and not count necessarily on description to carry it. And back to one of Elmore Leonard's rule, right? It it allows you to to skip to the parts people care about and <laughs> you know have a lot of white space and they yeah. and people read that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, then to meet your work count, you may have to go in and fill in some of those Absolutely. details. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell me about like, you know, as you're learning, you're figuring out writing and you're doing it, what kind did you take classes? Did you join? Like, tell me about your, your craft building process. Yeah, I started out, I, I wanted to take just a, a just a basic class. So I started with um, the UCLA Extension offers a lot of classes in the LA area. Mm-hmm. And I took the first one I took was called uh, Intro to Fiction. It was taught by an, an established, uh, acclaimed writer named Noel Illumit. And Noel um, uh, taught a class at Occidental College. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really great group. At least two or three of us, I think, have been published out of that just basic Intro to Fiction class wow. starting along the way. And, and it was really well organized. And then the next thing I took was a four-day workshop through the Writer's Studio of UCLA Extension, um, which was specifically on mystery writing. It was a four-day mystery writing class taught by um, author Gerilyn Farmer. Gerilyn is probably well-known to many people who know Sisters in Crime along the way. She is a lefty and uh, award winner, a multiple lefty award winner, and Anthony nominee, um, and, and Anthony winner, I think. Um, and many other awards, and is a superb teacher. And she she had taught that workshop a couple of times, I think, at that point through UCLA Extension. And she also taught a weekly master class for up to, I think, about four students at a time. And I took her took her class. Um, she gave me terrific encouragement to continue writing out of that class. Um, and I got on the wait list for her master class and about six months later or so uh, was able to join that as someone else wow. dropped out. And I was part of that class for the better part of 10 years um, wow. as I wrote my first three to four books in that. I became published during it, but continued with the class during the thing. And I, I've always considered it as grad school 10 pages at a time. Yeah. Because every week you would bring 10 pages. This is a good structure, actually, for people who like writing groups. You bring 10 pages, up to 10 pages, printed out, a copy for everyone. People would read it. Uh, you would read your own work out loud as people read along with you and take notes. And then you go around the room and everyone gives feedback. And then you move on to the next person. Right. And so in a couple of hours, a couple, three hours, you'll get through everybody's work. But you'll also get a different different perspectives from people on what works, mm-hmm. what doesn't about what you've read, et cetera. Um, and so that that really was my was my training ground was this group. And I have to say, um, all everyone in my group has either published books, multiple short stories and or both uh, along the way. So the, the level of talent was was very high. 
And that's uh, that's a key point as well. If you're forming a writing group, try to form a writing group with people who are at least as experienced as you are, because punching up is the way to get better, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that that's um, really great advice. So you said you were in that writing group for 10 years? Yes. Yeah, I joined, wow. I, I joined it in... Uh, let's see, my wife was pregnant at the time. So I joined it in 2008 and continued with it until about 2017 or so. Along the way. And by that and by that time, I'd had uh, three books out, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um, again, and Glenn and I talked about this earlier. I worked in theater as an administrator for years, but I do know so many actors and, and other theater artists. And when you said that you're not comfortable with quiet time, I think that many creative people aren't comfortable with the quiet time because you want to, there's got to be something you can do <laughs> to, to keep moving forward. Um, and so for actors taking classes is one for writers, you know, um, as you did taking classes, how else do you fill the quiet time now? If you could family that, that certainly is one way to do it. Um, but creatively, how do you continue to refresh and fill the well? Sure, sure. Um, uh, well, whenever I can make enough time for it, reading, of course, is is the biggest thing I should do and want to do along the way. It's it's a truism, though, that when you when you have a, a when you have a day job, when you have a writing career, when you have a family, suddenly all of that reading that inspired you to become a writer, that time disappears in a big hurry. And yeah. and I have to actually make time. I'll make an hour a day that's like, nope, this is reading time. I'm I'm gonna sit down and read because if I don't make it, it disappears. It becomes answering emails. It becomes, you know, doing the dishes. Yes. It becomes something else. Right. Yeah. Um and so I have to actually make that time for myself. Um I enjoy watching TV with the family now that our now that our daughter is a is a a, a teenager. Um, we're watching. We, we always watch things together, but we're sort of watching the same things that we're interested in at the same time, right? Yeah. And, you know, so we we really enjoyed Poker Face, the new uh. the new series from Ryan Johnson and Natasha Leone. Um, we've been watching Good Omens together. We, uh, you know, it, it's it's the sort of thing. That just watching it as a family is fun, but. It's also especially fun because my daughter really likes writing herself. Oh. And so we sometimes we will talk about things from a story perspective, right? Or how things were set up or what she's been reading, for example. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a delight. That's a, that's really a lot of fun. I can't wait. I, you know, I don't know if she has aspirations to be a writer, but I can't wait to see what she continues to produce in her in her high school career and beyond. Yeah, that's exciting. And you mentioned great shows that are really good. As as I watch Poker Face once as a as a fan, and then you watch it again as a writer. It's like, how did he do that? Yeah, yeah, it's like a magic trick. It's like, show me that again. What, what did you just do? Like, wow! Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah. Um, so, writing advice. It sounds like you've had you know some wonderful experience uh, with other writers and with with teachers. Um, and you talked about good writing advice and we can certainly add more but what's the worst piece of writing advice you 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 got or you've heard people give that just makes you cringe because it's not oh yeah i can okay everybody's writing process is so different that i often hesitate to to say i can say worst for me yeah. worst for me worst for me is to completely isolate myself and write in a vacuum 
right? With without absorbing any other writing or pop culture at the same time for two reasons. Number one is writing a book is a really long process, right? So you're talking about months of not absorbing anything else as you're writing this thing. Um, and I and I get that people, especially newer writers, maybe are scared of um, accidentally absorbing somebody else's voice or, or or reusing things. And my thought is, go ahead, go ahead, because you'll 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 realize upon rereading that you're imitating somebody else, and you'll probably recraft it because you will write yeah. that book a bunch of times on the way to publication. Yeah. Um, you know, go ahead and take that risk and and if you do imitate somebody a little bit too much my early writing you know came out a little too robert b parker frankly mm -hmm. um and needed to be reshaped into something that was more me uh so that that's a bad one the the um probably the other the other bad bit of advice might be shoot i had it in my head it popped out it'll it'll come back so, okay. but, but really, yeah, the, the isolation thing doesn't work for me very well at all along the way. Uh, oh, I remember the other, the other worst piece of advice, which is, um, read your reviews because, you know, yeah. people will tell you what they want. People will tell you what they think. And to me, as, as somebody who's been an actor and has read reviews, good and bad about your own work, let me tell you those bad reviews, they stick with you. And one of the best advices I can give is have someone curate your reviews for you. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. my wife will read my reviews. And when I need a pick me up or if something's especially well-written or she likes it along the way, she will be the one who says, Hey, this Amazon review is really good. And she'll send me the snippet of it. But beyond yeah. that, I stay far away from reviews, social media, everything like that. I, I have a, I have a buffer and bless her. She keeps me uh, from, from wandering into the mire. I think that's excellent advice because to human beings, we tend to, you can get a hundred great reviews and one bad one, and you're going to only remember the bad one. Right. Yeah, exactly. That is the, that is of course the one that's going to stick with you as a creative yeah. person. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. Um, so tell, talk to me a little bit about your process. How do you, you know, mm -hmm. are you, I mean, we talk about plotters, panthers, but what's your process like for a book? Yeah, I, I've been all over the board. I've, mm -hmm. uh, my, my first book, just by dint of uh, the amount of time spent on it, was very heavily plotted and replotted and, mm -hmm. and things like that, uh, but not really in advance. It was sort of plotted as I went, as a lot of first books are. Second book, I tried to pants it. And good things came out of that, but I also ended up rewriting close to 100 pages of it by by the end because I was going down dead ends with some of the sideline uh, plots. So um, I, I sort of have what I call milestones. There's particular character beats, plot twists, action scenes, uh, you know, uh, moments that I want to hit. And as long as I'm headed towards the next one and I know why things lead to other things, then I'm free to riff a little bit and I can wander. Right. And if I'm if I'm visiting, if I'm visiting Death Valley and the Grand Canyon and uh, and the Painted Desert, I'm going to those. But, hey, oh, roadside stand with rattlesnakes. What is that? So, you know, drive off and, and see see what what comes in that particular journey. It, and that that allows me enough freedom to wander a bit and find 
character beats or um, humor. That's often where humor comes from is is when I'm not worried about necessarily propelling the story forward. I can have a character be a little more eccentric or something like that. So the, that's that's really what I sort of settled into. I have found um, I'm writing sort of my second standalone right now. My first one's un, unpublished as yet because I want to go back and I need to go back and finish it. But I'm really writing my second standalone end to end right now. I'm plotting a lot more with it, both because it's relatively complex, because it does jump back and forth in time a little bit. And I have to understand when clues are discovered and why. Um, but also because I I want to make sure that it's propulsive enough that every chapter is driving something new forward. Um, and because of that, I'm thinking more about it in terms of chapter eight, this happens, chapter 11, this happens, etc. And I'm I'm not finding it too restrictive, which is nice. So this one's a little more plotted and that, that might just be because it's new territory for me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a safety net, right? Yeah. And you're challenging yourself as a writer. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm always more comfortable if I'm challenging myself. My first five books were in first person. Um, and then, but they, but they had unusual beats. They jumped around in the, in the history of the, the character at different ages. Um, then in my, and then I had one book that, didn't do that. It was just a straight, straight ahead first person story. And then in the sixth book, the latest one, Island of Thieves, um, it will go into it's written in third person and will cut to other characters viewpoints. Same character, but written in third person rather than first, largely because I wanted the freedom to see my main character through other people's eyes. Now, I've written five books from his perspective. Now I want to write another book where people are looking at him and maybe we're getting a different take on the character because we're seeing him through another lens. Um, and that's exciting and scary. I had to write a couple of short stories in third person before I was comfortable writing in third person. Especially a character at a, a you know, a world that you know so well to, to re take another lens on it is um, that's a bold move. It, it it is, but I'm I usually write best when I'm a little scared, as you've been saying. You know, it's a, if if it's a bit of a tightrope journey emotionally as well as as well as technically in terms of the writing, it adds a little something. It, it it it's a little juice to the writing effort. You know, writing can be too easy. It can be too smooth if you're just sentence after sentence after sentence. You know, mm -hmm. just putting putting things down. It's good. It's good to be pushing yourself. Again, so much to unpack here because there's a lot. Um, so you talk about beats, you know, and it's a, writers think about scenes and things, things that you want to do. So do you, this is probably going to sound too, too down in the weeds, but, um, you know, do you sit down with a notebook and write out all of those scenes? Do you put them on cards and shuffle them till they're in the order you want? And then that's your map? Yes. Yeah. I it's funny. We we recently in the last few months moved into a new house and I've I've put cork all over um one of the the the, the door of the folding closet. The the closet comes out like an accordion style sort of door. Um and I put cork board on that and that that is my wall of crazy. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, as as every serial killer slash author has <laughs> of a wall of crazy in the house. 
Um, and it, it can carry anything. It can be like, I've scribbled something down on a post-it. I've scribbled something, I, you know, I, when I started this one, I went to the library with a stack of index cards and just started writing out the ideas I already had and, and re and recrafting them a little bit and moving them around. Um, what the wall of crazy very quickly now is about to become as I'm nearing the end of drafting the, the first pass on this manuscript is I will take the pages for each chapter. I will, I will pin them up to the wall of crazy, read them out loud and make notes as I go. Right. And so, you know, that's, it sort of becomes a post-it index card into notes that I might've captured in a notebook into notes on the actual draft, etc. It's sort of, it, 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 I found that my process just sort of naturally morphs into that. Mm -hmm. I very, it, it's not often that I sit down and outline the whole thing. I do, however, keep an Excel spreadsheet of chapter by chapter what I've created and what I think is coming up soon so that I can look at what's coming up soon or even later and go, it's the right time for that now. Or, mm -hmm. oh, I need one more chapter, then I can get to that point, right? Mm -hmm. And that helps to make, it's kind of a, a moving outline or a, 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 a dynamic outline that I'm sort of creating as I go, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of a, a Phyllis Whitney quote uh, that I've, I've used a couple of times on this podcast that a map is not a journey. So that you, what you're mm. telling us is that you've got a map, like we've got to think of it literally as a map. We're going to do this. We're going to hit here. We're going to hit here. But that doesn't mean you're not going to go on a side road. You're not going to back up. You're not going to spend I, more time at that restaurant than you intended to. Um, it just means that you're, you know where you're going and how you're going to get there may vary. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. I like that phrase a lot. The map is not a journey. That's yeah. She's pretty good at stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some talent there. Yeah. yeah. yeah just a little. Um, so you talked about writing a standalone in two different timelines mm -hmm. uh, because you don't like to make life easy for yourself. No, um, never. Are, <laughs> um, do you have two the two different the beats on the two different timelines, and then you're going to figure out how they intersect? Or yeah, do you, I do. You know, are you writing one and then you're writing the other, or how's that working? No, I'm I'm writing them. I'm writing them as they would be in the book. So I'm I'm writing them. Uh, essentially when I have a, a, a flashback chapter mm -hmm. um, going back 15 years or so, I will write it in the, you know, it is still, it is still chapter eight in the book. Right. It's just the th second flashback chapter, right. Along the way, you know, so where you're getting and you're, and that, that of course is dropping clues and laying background for what's happening in the modern day story as well. So the, the reader gets a little backstory, but they get it more dynamically than somebody just telling you, well, 15 years ago, I stubbed my toe on the sofa and it got infected and whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's happening, it's happening in a, in a, in a uh, more propellant, propellant, more propulsive fashion than you would normally have. Um, so I'll write it in that order, but also with this book, I don't want to reveal too much, but I have break-ins from media and other things that are also dotted throughout the book, which again, 
give you different perspectives and give you clues and other things as, into the mystery. So those are sort of, those are things that are off to the side, like I said, and then I'll go, what's the right time for this? Let me put mm-hmm. this transcript of this interview in no, at the time, right? Um, that's a lot of fun because it not only allows me to drop clues or character beats in a different way, but I get to go right in a different voice. Like, yeah. you know, let's let's make this a transcript of a local newscast. Like, yeah. And I'll look at a transcript of a local newscast going, what are the what are the beats? What do they do? They do intro, outro, one, two, three, four, you know, one question, two question, three question, and then and then outro beat. And now here's Bob, Bob with the weather. Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and so imitating that style is fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's fun to it's fun to do something a little different. It's a little it's a sort of a palate cleanser in between writing the, the the denser chapters of a book. And you you said that this is the second standalone you've you've worked on. Um mm-hmm. but you've written a series, a successful series. Are you sure you're writing a standalone? Or could it be the beginning of a series? Like how are you making that switch? So it, it's funny that you you asked that because I thought early on when writing the Van the first Van Shaw book, I thought it was a standalone. But it didn't take long to realize with the cast of characters I was building and the kind of character I was building, it's like, oh no, this is this is my Travis McGee, right? This right. is my not not to compare myself too much to John D. McDonald, but that was the kind of world I found myself building is I wanted to return to this character, have him evolve, have him get a little older you know, see him, see, see the mix and match the cast of characters in different ways. Cause that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You're mixing characters from different books and having them come together and bump heads. Um, and so it didn't take long before that standalone became a series. This standalone, I don't think it's a series. It's really about a specific person's past sort of devastating history. And having to revisit that and come to grips with it. I suppose there could be a second book, but it couldn't it couldn't be on the same subject because we're dealing with it in this book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I and it's and it's enjoyable writing a standalone both for the what I call the risk to the reader, because the reader doesn't know that it's going to all turn out well in a standalone. Right. Right. Whereas in a series, they have some some uh, assurance that it's not going to get too bad, right? (laughs) Well, of course, now that you're writing in third person, your series, I think the reader might feel a little bit more like, oh, what's he going to (laughs) do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Things are never easy for for Van. Uh, If they were easy, they wouldn't be fun to read. So as we're talking about the work and publishing journey, let's talk a little bit about publishing because writing is one journey, publishing is another. And when we're starting out, we we tend to think publishing is going to be one way or something's going to happen mm-hmm. or it's going to you're going to walk through the magic doorway and everything's going to be in technicolor. And, you know, you're just going to skip on the yellow brick road. That seldom happens. It does happen to some folks. Um, but can you talk about what's what you expected it to be? What surprised you most about your publishing journey? Yeah, I, I knew very little about publishing when I started along the way. I've just I've just sort of learned things as I've gone. 
um, through this thing. So I had not done any, I had not been a member of a mystery writing organization prior to becoming a writer. Um, and, and prior, prior actually to getting an agent, I, I, you know, so I hadn't learned anything about it. So I, I knew enough to know it wasn't going to be like I saw in television and movies where, you know, there's a lot of like publishing parties, no other reason that I didn't live in New York city, right. There wasn't going to be a lot of like publishing parties. There probably wasn't going to be a big book tour. Um, that I had, I had heard some authors talk about both because the, they were established authors, but also because it just seemed like it was becoming a thing of the past. And that turned out to be accurate. Yeah. Um, what I, a couple of things I didn't realize is number one, after your book is, is sold, you're still probably going to rewrite it at least twice. <laughs> you're you're going to get notes from your editor or editors. Yeah if you have multiple in different countries sometimes, um, and you're going to get, of course, copy edits. You're going to get proofreading notes, right? Mm -hmm. So there's at least two passes, usually a third, right? right? So in, in, in one day, in one way, that's, that's a, that I don't want that to seem disheartening. I want authors to say, Hey, even after this book is sold, you still have a chance and some expert opinions to help make it even better. Yeah. Right. So if you look at it with that perspective, that that's very helpful. Um, it, it one of the things, however, in the modern era that I, I had I had expected more of that than I've seen in my career. This may be different from other authors, but there's not a lot of guidance and advice unless you're asking for it directly. Like, I'll ask my agent, what do you think we should do here? And my agent, Lisa Urbach Vance, is amazing. She's, she's very, very, um, uh, her expertise is extraordinary and she gives outstanding advice, uh, career advice. Uh, but I have to ask for it, right? I have mm -hmm. to kind of go, what, what do we want to do here? You know, here, what are some options? Um, so she'll offer advice, but also I don't get advice from, editors like my publisher does not come back and say hey we'd love to see this from you or you know what do you have for us next along the way it really is radio silence until i bring something forward which mm -hmm. was not what i expected at all i expected more of a like how do we craft this what's going on with the career you know what's next yeah. for you have you thought about this collaboration have you thought about publishing mm -hmm. or, or writing something like this none of that and it might just be because of you know, the, the mid, mid range level that my career is at, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they do that more with established authors, uh, or, or even debut authors, or maybe it's just not what's done these days, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I had anticipated more of that. Again, it's probably best to look at that as something that offers you freedom, right? They want to see what you can do without necessarily, getting you confused about what you're writing next, <laughs> you know? Um, so th that's, that's been a big one. I would have, I would have loved to, however, come in at the, at the phase of where book tours were more of a thing. I would have, yeah. you know, I got a little bit of it at the first couple books, but these days with the pandemic and virtual being such an easy thing to do, unless you're a really big author, 
and your presence is going to pull in a lot of people to that bookstore. Mm-hmm. It's easier on the bookstore and easier on the publisher, certainly less expensive, not to send you flying around the country or countries. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they just don't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, it, again, you're giving me so much to unpack here. And I think that this is a, <laughs> this is a great conversation, though. We'll have about, a round two. We'll have a round two. Yeah, we'll come back. <laughs> but about being a mid, you know, when you feel like you're mid-career or you're, you're sort of like, where's going? Where am I going? Um, you can't be passive in your your publishing career. Also, the knowledge that it may not work the way you want it to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you could work yeah. on this standalone. I don't maybe you've got a contract for it, but you also could work on something without a contract. And and then you've got to figure out who's going to publish it because your publisher is an in. I mean, nothing is certain. <laughs> that, is, that is a <laughs> perfect segue, Julie, actually. And, and, and it's important to bear out. It's, you know, I have I have six books published. Um, They've done well, but they also haven't like set the world on fire, right? Nobody's at at this point, at least, nobody's making a movie of of Van Shaw, and it's not, you know, it's not at that level. Um, and so, and as it happens, my longtime editor has gone to a different house, so I'm currently a, a man without a country mm-hmm. at this point, right? Again, the way to look at that is freeing. I get to write whatever I want without worry of a deadline and make it as best I can. And we get to shop it around. Right. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. I've, I've been, it's been a a very productive summer. I'm hoping to complete the, um, complete this manuscript with another pass or so, get it to my agent within the next few weeks. Um, And then she and I will probably do some recrafting on it. And be shopping it around, hopefully before too long. But it is like starting again. Yeah. Um, and that's scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's, it's. I wanted to talk about this a little bit today because I want writers to understand that when you've got, even even after being published, there are still, you know, uh, hills and valleys, mm-hmm. right along the way for most authors on the way it's not consistent trajectory up at the same time i have an advantage i have a track record right Mm -hmm. i have some awards i have good reviews i have all of that so if i write a good standalone that's that they find exciting um there's probably more of a hook to hang it on you Mm -hmm. know with with uh with with uh, a new publisher or even my current publisher along the way in in wanting to sell that Right. Because it is my first standalone that I'd be publishing. I think it, it's so uh, generous of you to offer this, that that conversation. I also uh, want to point out that one of the things that you keep talking about is the gift or the opportunity of these things happening um, to you and your career and your writing process. And for some folks, this is when you stop or when you go to bed and put your covers overhead. Um, and so for if you want a career, you've got to look at these things as opportunities and keep going. You can't yeah. you can't let the outside forces stop you. Yeah. My, I mean, my hope is that I look back on this in 10 years and go, well, that was a real turning point. It's like the mm-hmm. first standalone and, you know, a new a new era of the career that hopefully is is just as much fun as the last one has been 
along the way. And I, I, to be clear, I want, I want and intend to write many more Van Shaw adventures as well. But I also want the freedom to write different things mm-hmm. because it challenges me. Um, it's, it's interesting for the reader. I hope that they get to explore different things. Um, and, and looking at it as an opportunity is, is important. We, we have to spend so much time, especially if you're writing novels, there's so much time without any feedback, right? We, you know, the, we, it's all on faith, that first book, right? Is that you're writing this, you don't know if anybody's ever going to read it. You know, I was very good at, <laughs> I would, I would temper my expectations. When I started writing a book, it was literally to see if I could write a book. If yeah. I could just, could I finish this? Yes. And if I finished it, would anybody be interested in reading it? Would anybody yeah. be interested in representing it? But I wasn't I wasn't writing the book thinking publication. Yeah. I was writing the book to write the book. Um and I and that part of that was just keeping myself calm and and focused on it, but also realizing that I'm going to get something valuable out of this no matter what happens, mm-hmm. no matter where it goes. As it happens. I was very lucky, and when the brass ring was there to get representation and get published and, and get recognition, I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't start out with that in mind. I started out writing because I liked writing. Right now, now on your craft. I get I get to be back at that. Right, I get to be back mm-hmm. with the standalone. Going, what can I do that I haven't done before? What's yeah. different? Right, without expectation, any other expectation than what I'm putting on myself. Um, and you know, that is the, that is the, that is the approach of being a constant student. That's important. A, a student of, of, of the art and craft of writing. Um, it's true also. I have a, I have a background in martial arts. It's true of martial arts as well. It's like you're never not a student, mm. right? No matter what, you are always right. learning. You're always teaching. You're always trying to, approach today as a fresh thing and see what today brings without mm-hmm. worrying about tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and, and for me as a writer, that's important, not only for um, writing as well as I can, as well as I can manage, but also my own sanity. Mm-hmm. Just like, like, what am I learning today? You know, what have I done today along the way without worrying about necessarily, oh, is anyone going to buy this book? Right. Don't get stuck so much in the future that you're not appreciating the opportunity of today. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, as you're working on this, I again, I go back to because I love talking to, to people who've acted in the past, but actors can't act without an opportunity. Right. And that's right. always been Very when different. I talk to my actor friends, that's the frustration. Unless somebody gives them an opportunity or they make an opportunity, they can't act. Writers, you can write no matter what. (laughs) When you've been orphaned, which is the, you know, when your editor goes to another house or, or something happens, you can still write. I mean, you can keep moving along. Um, Do you find, Glenn, that you're thinking about, you're working on your standalone, you've got your series, but do you have other characters who are showing up who are going to maybe get a part of the cork board that are sort of saying, you know, we're next, or we'd like to, you know, we may be a new series for you. it can happen. Yeah, I created created a character, um, it's not spoiling, I created a character with this one that I'm like, maybe I don't kill them off. (laughs) 
you, <laughs> you know, this one's really fun to write. Maybe, maybe they gotta live. Um, you know, because I could see I could see having other other stories branch off of branch off of even the standalone on the way. But there's also it's funny how I don't know if other authors experience this, but I, I, I've heard it enough that I think it's pretty common. When you're a thick end of the manuscript, when you're like two thirds of the way through and you're you're getting through that really tough middle before you get to the fun climactic scenes of everything coming together. Right. And you're getting into that. That, of course, is when you get the great idea for the next book <laughs> that tends to distract you. And go, oh, I want to go write that. Well, of course you do, because it's new and shiny and pretty, and there's no, it's not, it's not a, you know, a, a, a quicksand of, of challenges that you have you've wandered into yet, right? Um, so you know that that is a distraction. Write it down, put it over there along the way. And so I, I think I, I can find my my mind wanting that break of going, should I think about this next one? No, no. But that's that's the voice of experience. The voice of experience is telling me, no, no, finish this one. Finish, finish this, one. this one. Because you will rediscover your interest in the book that you are working on as as you as you get into it, right? And we talked about hills and valleys in the career. There are hills and valleys in writing a manuscript. Right. Yeah. Right. And you've got to kind of go through those valleys of like this isn't working, this isn't working, or this is boring me, or I need something else, and trust that you're going to come back to it, you're going to figure out why it's not working, and you're going to recraft it, and it's going to be yes. even better. In the meantime, push on to the chapter you are excited about and write that. Right? right. And even if you've got to finish it just to close the loop, I mean, it yeah. may be that it's yeah. th this project is, is only going to sit on your your computer for a long time until you know how to fix it or until you can figure it out but but you've got to close the loop so you learned what you needed to learn yes yeah and in closing the loop you'll rediscover your your love for it along the way too because i can always it's it's also common that when i'm i often when i'm writing a manuscript about i'll be you know deep into it and then i'll get a better idea mm -hmm. right I don't go back and rewrite yet. I continue the manuscript forward from that point because it's energizing and exciting and invigorating. And I write, I continue to write the rest of it as if I had already established that idea or that character point or something else. And then when I do the next pass, I'll go back and go, okay, this is what needs to be established here, here, and here to make that a viable thing. And it's not only is it, not only is it the way to maintain momentum, but it's also easier when I go back and I and I'm rewriting the first half, going, oh, okay, here's where it needs to change. It it, it lays itself out. And do you put a you know a note for yourself in the manuscript? Is this is this as of this moment on, her mother's a serial killer? <laughs> you know, just I, I don't. Yeah, I don't find much need to do that. Mostly okay. because as I'm doing later, the passes get faster and faster, right? Yeah. And so I will know that it's like, oh, this is the point that it changed. You know, I'll know that as I'm rereading it through going, drop a hint here, you know, make a mention here, put another chapter or another part of a chapter in here to let him find this place. Yeah. Right. And then and then, you know, that I, I don't I don't keep a lot of side notes necessarily. Um 
until I get to like the very quick past chapter checks that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I didn't mention this, that he had visited this city before. I didn't mention this. Make sure to do that. And then that's a checklist for a, for the next pass. Um, again, you know, reminding folks that there's no one way to write, <laughs> but, um, and, you know, we both know people who edit as they go and, and things like that. But I do think that, um, what do you, what do you, you keep using a wonderful word, but moving forward. That momentum that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep, you want to, you want to keep that energy. You want to keep yeah. that energy. It's like, oh, what if this guy was this was the brother of this woman and we didn't know it until now? Great. I haven't established that, but let's continue forward <laughs> as if that were true. Yeah. Right. And so now I'm excited. I want to write that part of it because a big reveal is coming up. Right. So. And that's the stuff that sparks your imagination. Yes, exactly. Um, I, it just as we're, you know, having I could talk to you forever, but let's I, I want to go back to it, somebody you've written five books in first person, six books is in third. Mm -hmm. Um, do you imagine that you'll stay in third moving forward? Or or you know, was is are you still using the clay to figure this out? Um the, the standalone I'm writing now is in both. Okay. Um, the the contemporary stuff is first person, and then we're seeing flashback chapters to his past. They're in third. Interesting. Um, because he's not that person anymore. Yeah. He's a little removed from that, and so wow. that's that's kind of fun, and also I think helps the reader a little bit too, um, because of the changes that have happened to the character. And it sounds like it's a distant third, so that it's from other characters' points of view. So it's not close third. Oh no, it, third, it, it's largely yeah. close third. It's largely okay. close third. Yeah, yeah. For those yeah. unfamiliar with that, close third is following. It's third person. So I'm saying that John did this, but I'm sticking with John's point of view through yeah. the whole thing, rather than shifting into the inner thoughts of anyone else. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that um, what I'm hearing, what I'm inspired by is the fact that you keep challenging yourself to do, to punch up, as you, as you mm -hmm. said earlier. Yeah. So what is next for you? You're working on the standalone or there, yep. you know. Working on the standalone, got another standalone. Uh, maybe it's a standalone, maybe it's a series. I don't know. I've got that brewing in the back of my head, which is exciting as well. I have the next Van Shaw thriller. Um, I have a lot of that in my head as well. Um, and that's, again, that's a, that's a publishing decision, right? When the publisher is ready for another one, yeah. um, that's when I'll go write that. But right now it's about what's the next, what's the next phase of my career and can I establish myself as a, as a standalone thriller writer, as well as a series thriller writer. That's, that's really what it's about at this point. Yeah, and thank you so much for talking about that, talking about uh, how we have to think about our careers at different points yeah. along the line. Because, again, we don't talk about that. That's one benefit of communities Absolutely. or of conversations with other writers or conferences are the, so what's going on? You know, the honest, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, the honest take on it. And, exactly. and you don't, you know, except in, except in podcasts like this that are, with writers for writers or aspiring writers and honestly if you're writing you're you're a writer right. no matter what stage you're at you know if you're if you're doing if you're doing the work you're a writer um 
except in podcasts like these, you know, so many interviews can just be the good side. You know, they can they're the they're the Instagram view of your career, yeah. right? Everything looks great, everything through a filter, you know, it's shiny and happy and all of that sort of stuff. It's much better for everybody, and I and I don't think it diminishes uh, me or anyone else at all to say, "Yeah, this I'm at a challenging phase of my career, and this yeah. is how this is what I'm doing about it." Yes, right. You know, it's it's that same sort of um, lift you get when you hear from an author whose work you adore, who's maybe won all kinds of awards and has like a grandmaster level career, go. Yeah, every first chapter sucks. <laughs> you know? right, right, yeah. right. I hate it. It's awful. You know, <laughs> I don't know how I do it. Yeah, you know, along the way, you know, and and yet it happens, right? They make it happen along the way. And that's that's very encouraging. I'm I'm always encouraged when I hear that it's tough for the big names as well as the rest of us plugging along, right? Yes. Yeah. Or sometimes I'll look at a, a author whose career I admire who may no longer be with us. And look backwards at their career as a writer and realize, oh, she went six years not writing in this series. Like, obviously, yeah. publishers didn't realize the gold she created. And, you know, and you just sort of realize they must have struggled here. Like, you can almost see when it all happens and then, you know, the career is going like this. But there are fits and starts in every Very true. Career. Very yeah. true. Yeah. You only know you only know it in hindsight. Right. When you're right. When you're going through it, it's really tough. But at the same time, if you look if you look back on, you know, your journey or or you, like you say, an established author's journey along the way, you can see it's like, oh, okay, it wasn't all peak to peak, you know, mountaintop to mountaintop in their career too. They had to they had to go through some tough stuff in order to achieve the things that they wanted to do and. You know, that just makes it more valuable when it comes. You know, you've yeah. got to you've got to one of the truisms, I think, is celebrate every victory. Yeah. Celebrate that good chat, that chapter that you're really happy with. Celebrate the finishing of that pass. You know, celebrate the first time you, you get a good review or the 50th time you get a good review. You know, they're all worthy because, man, they're hard fought victories. Yes, absolutely. Well, Thank you so much for such a great conversation and and so much to think about. And I'm I wish you luck. I can't wait to read this standalone thank uh, you. that you're challenging yourself with. That's an exciting thing. So Glenn, thanks for your service to Sisters in Crime. Thanks for the plug about doing, you know, volunteering <laughs> for your chapter. Yes. Uh, but also, you know, congratulations on the on the work so far. And I look forward to the next one. Thanks so much, Julie. It's been a delight. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.